0: So as you think of who we are and what we do, I mean, if I was going to title my message today, I would call it that, who are you and what do you do? Because as I have made a transition from just being a pastor to working with pastors and and having a pastor of my own now in a local church, one of the things that has also changed for me personally is, is the way that I read scripture. Now that may shock you or surprise you. but. But most of the time when we open the Bible we look at what it means to us, don't we? When we have our devotions in the morning we say, "Well, what can I get from this? What can I learn? What can I do with this?" And that's a wonderful tool that we all have as we study God's word. However, we also gather together and as we come as a local church for 25 long years, I said, "What does this mean to us as a church?" What do we need to do together, and how can we learn from the truth of God's Word? And yet, as I still do both of those things, because Lori and I are in a new church every week, we travel from place to place and meet new groups of people, one of the things that I've learned as I've opened God's Word now is to say, what does it mean to the church? Not just to me, not just to one local group, but but the Church of Jesus Christ, because no matter what adjective hangs over our church's doors, no matter what names are there, no matter whether they're in white-steepled New England buildings or, or very cool Ohio buildings, we have the opportunity to realize that God spoke through the power of his Holy Spirit to churches that were scattered all over the ancient world, and yet were part of the church of Jesus Christ, all the people who really believed that He was God come in the flesh to give eternal life. And so I've started to look and read Scripture with, with regional kind of eyes, in ways that I say, what does this mean to a whole group of churches? What does this mean to, to a whole movement of people that, that are part of different backgrounds and different denominations and, and probably have some different perspectives on Scripture itself, and yet, what does it mean to us today? And so I'd like you to take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of Titus because I want to show you this, and one of the neatest little books at the end of the New Testament, on page 998 of your Pew Bibles we're going to look at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to one of the people that he mentored, telling him that he had a job to do for the church, the church that was meeting in a place called Crete, because as Paul continued to travel throughout the ancient world and tell the truth of who Jesus was, he found this kid named Titus who was from Antioch. Now, if we had time, we'd go back in the book of Galatians and we would see that Titus probably came to Christ After the persecutions that took place, after Stephen was stoned, and after some of the difficulties that took place in the early church, and yet we would also find out that as Titus came to faith and lived in Antioch, do you know where Antioch is? Watch the news, you'll find out. When you look at what's taking place with the ISIS organization in Syria and southern Turkey, that's where Antioch is. And you know what happened in Antioch? That's where Acts 11 tells us people were first called Christians you know, things that are taking place in that part of the world have great historical value and great spiritual value to us as the church. Because as we understand that people were first called little Christ, followers of Christ, Christians in Antioch, Titus, This kid came to Christ, he began to follow him, and then he walked with, literally, Paul on his missionary journeys. And with a guy named Timothy, they traveled to different places with the Apostle Paul. And finally, in about 63, 64 AD, Paul established a church in Crete, just south of of where Italy is, if you look on the map for that. Now, Crete was an interesting place because the historians tell us that it was a place with many islands, it had many different groups of people in towns, And yet as Paul established the church there, the church began to grow because people wanted to hear about Jesus and they wanted to find out how he was the one that saved them from the penalty of their sins. And as Paul established that church, he said to Titus, you know what, Titus, I'm going to go somewhere else, but I want you to stay here. Because there's a whole lot of things that still need to be done with the church in Crete. And so it says in Titus 1, Paul, a servant of God, writes to his buddy Titus, he is an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Not literally his son, but somebody that he loved like his son. Someone that he mentored, someone that he cared for, someone that he had brought along with him, and as they got to Crete, he said, you know what, I want you to stay here, and I'll be writing you a letter, and sure enough, he did, and this is what it says in verse eight, or five, rather. It says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order. Now, we're going to stop right there, because as Paul says that, and as he writes that in the original Greek language, he's using the same word to put in order that you and I use when we talk about orthodonture or orthopedics. It's it's a Greek word, ortho, which means to straighten out, to fix, to put in literal straight order of things. Now, I like the way the New International Version translates. It says, I put you there, or I write you that you might straighten out what was left unfinished. Meaning that the Apostle Paul had started something. He left Titus there and he says, oh, by the way, there's a few things I wanna tell you, a few things I wanna remind you about. A few things that you just need to be aware of because as you continue to minister there, Titus, to the church, probably scattered in hundreds of different places around the island of Crete, I want you to do a few things. And, and in the Greek language, again, he makes it very specific. He uses two prepositions to really hammer that down. So he says, I really, really want you to do this. I want you to certainly, certainly understand that this is something that you need to do because, you know what, Till Jesus comes back, the church is never gonna be perfect. Until we finally get to heaven someday, churches are gonna to continue to go through the things that we as humans go through. The church of Jesus Christ will not be perfect in this world and yet there are people that God puts in place to help us as followers of Christ, Christians, followers of Jesus, To be able to live our lives and do these things for him so not just in in this passage but in many passages like this the apostle paul wants to set things straight and yet i love how he does it here in titus because he says to titus in each of the chapters that are here this is the job that you have with all the other things all the other priorities in life titus as a pastor now of the church working with all kinds of groups of people around Crete, you get the idea, I want you to do a few things. And so the first job that Titus had was here in chapter one, verse five. He says, I want you to put an order by appointing elders in every town. And so he says, I want you, Titus, to make sure that every one of those little churches, those little congregations, Those little groups of people that are gathered all over the island of Crete have godly men who are leading them in the right way. I want you to appoint those elders. I want you to make sure that no matter how many church groups there are, no matter whether they're meeting in homes or behind businesses or in public places, no matter where they're at, Titus, that you appoint these elders, these godly leaders. Now, again, we need to realize if you haven't or you don't, that a church was very different back in the first century. But the church has stayed the same in many ways. A church is simply a group of believers in Jesus Christ under the authority of biblically qualified leaders who meet together regularly to worship God the Father, study the Bible through the power of the Holy Spirit, pray and fellowship and observe the ordinances of baptism and communion, and then share Christ's love for the world. And that takes all kinds of forms and has taken many forms throughout the centuries. It's not all like us in this place. It's not like in the United States all around the world. But that's why Paul says to Titus, I want you to point godly people. And that's why there's a list of some of the qualifications of what those godly people are to be like. I In the book of Titus and in the book of Timothy we find the qualifications of godly leaders, godly elders who would shepherd these little churches, meeting in these little places throughout all the towns of Crete because that was Titus's job, chapter one tells us. But chapter two goes on and tells us that his second part of his job was to teach sound doctrine throughout the church. Literally, it says this, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And that word sound doctrine literally means healthy teaching it means taking the truth of God's Word communicating in ways that show that God wants his best for us he wants to give us guidance he wants to show us how we're to to understand what he's revealed to us and and, and we need people to help us with that sometimes. I mean, we need people that, that know the Word and have studied the Word to be able to teach that to us so we can teach it to other people, and so every church, every local church could have that right foundation of God's truth, and that's the same foundation that we build on today, isn't it? I mean, as churches gather together, looking different, being in different locations, meeting literally around the world today. The church of Jesus Christ, I am finding, is learning what unites us is much more important than what distinguishes us. What gives us the central truth from God's Word is so much more important than even some of the wonderful things that distinguish groups of Christians around our country and around this world. And the bottom line, the bottom line issue of what unites us is the gospel of Jesus, the good news that he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he's alive. There's an organization called the Gospel Coalition and Together for the Gospel that's written, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, united in one great cause. to stand together for the gospel. We are convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ has been misrepresented, misunderstood and marginalized in many churches and among many who claim the name of Christ. And I'm gonna grab this glass of water that I brought Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Because we were partying at my aunt and uncle's anniversary last night, and so. (coughs) And the Gospel Coalition says, Compromise of the gospel has led to the preaching of false gospels, the seduction of many minds and movements, and the weakening of the church's gospel witness. But we are also brothers and sisters united in deep concern for the church and for the gospel. This concern is specifically addressed to certain trends within the church today. We are concerned about the tendency of so many churches to substitute technique for truth and therapy for theology and management for ministry. Because when we come back to who the church is and what we do, friends, we need to understand the truth of what God's Word teaches. Now, right now in our country, 88% of Americans still have Bibles in their homes. 82% 82% of all Americans say that they know the Bible. But you know what? When you start asking them questions, the stats fall drastically. Matter of fact, according to the last Barna poll I read, only 43% of all Americans can name the first five books of the Bible. Can you? Matthew, Mark, Luke? That's not the first five books of the Bible, is it? So just think about that because Titus's job... Was to appoint elders in every town, was to teach sound doctrine throughout the church. And then finally, in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul also said that he's to remind people how to live in the world. You see, as he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And we may come back to this passage. What he's saying is, you know what, it's not just enough to know the Bible, it's not just enough to study the Bible. It's not just enough to know that it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that are first five books of the Bible, but we need to know how to take the truth of God's Word, to apply it to our lives, to live out the life of Christ, and we need to make sure that we do that because the world continues to spiral further and further away from the truth of God's Word. Now again, I'm learning all kinds of interesting things as I'm studying what's taking place in the country right now, but you know that right now, nearly half of the births in our country are to unwed mothers. One in five children are raised below the poverty level. About seven million children live with a parent with alcohol or drug problems. And this is a stat that really surprised me. About one in four families in the United States are affected by mental illness. Now that doesn't mean that that's those people's faults. It doesn't mean that that's our fault. But what that means is that it's a challenge to live today it's a challenge to raise healthy families and healthy children. It's a challenge to live out the life of Christ. And as we do that, as we understand that, it would only make sense that we have that same pattern, don't we? Where we have to be people who mentor godly leaders, where we make sure truth is taught and how it applies to life. And, and that's the privilege and that's the challenge that Lori and I have as we do that all over the Northeast right now. Because we work with about 80 different churches, that means we have about 15,000 people that we consider part of our multi-site church around New England. We have mostly Anglo churches, but we have 14 Haitian churches, one Chinese, one Japanese, one Chinese, one Brazilian. And today, today is a really cool day because there's a group of Hispanic people meeting in Danbury, Connecticut for the first time that are praying about that city and asking God to give them the opportunity to reach the Hispanic community in Connecticut. And you know what? We do have white, old, steeple churches in Connecticut, but we have people that are meeting in buildings just like this. Surprise, surprise. We have people that are meeting in storefronts. We have people that are meeting in homes. We have people that are meeting in all kinds of different places, in schools and in theaters. And even though New England is called the land of the frozen chosen, and it certainly was this winter as you were, God's moving in some incredible ways. We have a group of pastors in Connecticut that are praying across denominationally. That means with people from the Assemblies of God and from the Southern Baptists and the Conservative Baptists and the Evangelical Free Church and the Covenant Church that God will put a clear gospel preaching church in all 169 towns that we have in Connecticut. Now, it helps to be a little state to pray for a thing like that, but we have pastors that are meeting all around New England that that are looking at how they can really make disciples who make disciples. We have a church of 30 somethings that is planning to affiliate with us that that is running about a thousand in a school and they are really reaching people on the campuses of the universities that they're near. We have another group that has a vision to be able to put 10 different churches in the 10 largest cities of the Northeast. And as they're praying about that and we're working together with that, we have ethnic church planters in Rhode Island and we have a group of people that are praying round the clock in New York City with the Tim Keller School of Leadership and other people that have connected with each other to make sure that we believe that God is working in some awesome ways. Now, again, because I'm one of your missionaries, I'm here to tell you about what we do. And if you want to pick up one of our brochures in the back by our little sign we have back there, you can find out more about what we do as a kingdom-focused movement of churches. And, and frankly, one of the things that hinder us are the finances of being able to do that. And so if you'd like to be involved in any way specifically with us, we would love for you to do that because as I hope you realize, Lori and I love what God's called us to do. It is more challenging than we ever thought it would be, but it all comes back to looking at what God has called the church to do and looking again at this passage because as the Apostle Paul writes this letter, I wonder if we caught the commitment that he was really building his ministry on in these first few verses. Matter of fact, let's look at Paul's commitment in verse 1. He says he's a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, meaning that he wanted people to come to know Jesus, and he wanted to make sure that his commitment was to understanding as God was choosing people and they were making commitments of faith to him, that, that they were continually sharing the truth of who Christ was. Also, it says that he wasn't just concerned about reaching new people for Christ or starting new churches, but it says we also want to make sure that they understand the knowledge of the truth, meaning that they needed to grow deeper in God's Word, they needed to understand the truth of how God was working in so many different ways. It's not just enough to know the basics of biblical doctrine and sound teaching It's so important to live it out in a healthy way. And so he says in verse two, he says, I want you to realize that this accords with all godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages. Meaning that we do have hope and we do have encouragement. And if I were gonna put some words together with these phrases, I would say that Paul was concerned about evangelism because that's really the faith of God's elect. I'd say that he was concerned about edification It means that he was really making sure those churches gathered, they weren't just repeating the same things over and over again or only focusing on the gospel, but they were training in truth. And I would also say that they were committed to understanding that there needed to be encouragement along the way. You see, that's why we're putting these words up here now is because this is not just a lesson about the church in Crete, it's not just a message of what I do as a regional minister, it's not just an understanding of what Paul's commitment was, but it was realizing that this passage doesn't just start with, hey, you know what, do more, be good, hang in there. It's saying, share the gospel, build up the church, remember the hope that you have is not in just things of this world, but it's in the hope of what we have in eternal life. I want you to know that I believe that that's an important message for you at Old North. One of the other things I've been learning in the process of seeing what God is doing in different parts of our country and through Converge Worldwide around the world is that I'm learning that there are two groups of churches that are growing in the United States right now, two-sized churches, 2 age churches. It's the churches over 2,000, the mega churches, that are really growing, and it's also the churches of about 50 or less people. That are growing in the united states right now people want to be part of something really big or they want to be part of something that is really pretty intimate and you know what old north is in the stage of churches that are either plateaued or declining according to the statistics that are across our country right now also in the united states right now it's churches that are brand new. Or churches that are so old that they're being revitalized that are growing. And it's those churches between about 40 and 150 years old that are struggling. Which is, again, where we find ourselves as a local church, isn't it? Saying that it's not enough for us just to know truth. It's not just enough for us to be committed to coming and learning But we need to be people who are aware of what's taking place in our world, be informed about what is happening, and our commitment should be the same as the Apostle Paul's, is what I'm sharing with you today. We need to be committed to these things as a church and as the church, and if you get nothing else out of this message beside the truth of who Jesus is, I want you to understand that we need to be committed here at Old North to this commitment of evangelism, sharing our faith in Christ and building people up in their faith. And yes, encouraging each other in the process because as the world continues to spiral away from truth, you and I need to realize that in the kingdom of God, as we do the right things, it builds muscle. And while doing the same things over and over again is sometimes a sign of insanity and expecting different results, you know what else it is? It's a sign of faithfulness. Because when God calls us, to the basic things that never change in this world. We need to be the kind of people that never forget them and we never let them go aside and we are always committed to coming back to the things that God says the church is all about. Can you repeat those with me? Evangelism, edification, encouragement. Again, evangelism, edification, encouragement. And as I look back at the life of Old North folks, I see a couple of those things that are part of our DNA. I mean, when Lori and I came here in 1988, we were 30 years old, and it wasn't too long that we met Pastor Al Detter. He was serving up in Erie, and we connected with each other because we'd gone to the same seminary together. He had more experience in ministry than I did, but we were committed to teaching God's word. I mean, that's all Dallas Seminary basically taught us to do was to teach the Bible, and and we did that. And that's one of the cool things that happened here at Old North was because we just taught the Bible, since we didn't know any better, People started to come, and people started to grow in their faith, and then we started to say, man, you know, we need to tell more people about Jesus. I mean, we need to tell people that are around us in our neighborhoods and our families that, that, that Jesus offers eternal life as a free gift. And, and so we started to learn how to discern and to deepen and develop relationships with people, and we started to say, how do we talk to them about sharing the truth from the Bible and, and booklets and our faith, and we just started introducing people to Jesus, and And you did that and hundreds of you came to faith in Christ because God's spirit worked with God's people and we kinda got that deal of edification and evangelism. And you know what? As I look back in those days, as I see those blessings that God allowed us to do, that's why you're sitting in this building today because we couldn't fit in the old one anymore. One of the things I really wish we'd had a better handle on was that last one, that last one of encouragement. Because I wish I'd encouraged you more, I wish you'd encouraged me more. I could have used it as a 30-year-old, I could have used it as a 40-year-old, I could have used it as a 50-year-old, and I can use it today, and so can you. Because while we sometimes focus on lost people and each other, we still can become critical and we can still become people who are looking for the things in life that best suit us. And I'm here today to tell you, that's not what God wants. He wants us to be committed to evangelism and edification, and more than ever, put that DNA of encouragement into Old North and encourage Pastor Al, and encourage the other guys on staff, and encourage your elders to keep doing the things that God's called them to do, and realize that that beautiful cycle of ministry that just continues as as Jesus taught his apostles, and they taught the early church, and the church fathers, and the martyrs, and the believers through the centuries of monks, and priests, and reformers, and, and dead guys that we quote all the time. because. Over and over again, back in Titus 3, it says this. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves without passions or with passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating others, but... When the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And so therefore, friends, as we live in this world and understand who Christ is, I'd ask you the same question that you asked me this morning. Who are you? What do you do? I mean, do you follow Jesus? Do you live out your life so people know who he is? Did they see your love and do they see your commitment to him? Are you committed to, what are the words? Take them off the wall so we can remember them. Evangelism, edification, and encouragement. Work on that one. Please work on that one. Because as we understand that the church of Jesus Christ is still the hope of this world, we realize that there are many other things competing for people's attention and values today. And it's my prayer that this church and the church of Jesus Christ be incredibly, incredibly committed to these three things. Our daughter Sarah lives in Rochester, New York. A town kind of like Youngstown because while it once flourished, it struggles because of this friend wrote, we walked through the nearly empty, formerly flourishing space of the Kodak manufacturing plant near our home. The plant manager, a friend from church, sadly described how Kodak plants had been downsizing and closing ever since the advent of what? Cell. Right, cell, digital photography, cell phones, all that stuff. He says, we have a wish here. He said, we want to be the last one standing. And Kodak since abandoned most of its space in the campus. This week, the company announced the latest job eliminations. And the guy who writes this says, My friend from church is now gone. And I wonder, is the church the next to go the way of Kodak? I see some chilling parallels. Listen, Kodak dominated the photographic scene for over 100 years. It commanded an 89% market share of photographic film sales in the United States. Almost everyone used the brand, unless we were too cheap to do that. And it says the company's advertising language of providing a Kodak moment became part of our, our common lexicon. What happened since then has been a colossal story of failure and missed opportunities, a gigantic casualty in the weight of digital photography, a technology that Kodak invented. Did you know that? Yes, that's right. Kodak engineer Steve Sasson invented the first digital camera when I was a junior in high school, 1975, and he later said, but it was filmless photography. So the management's reaction was, hey, that's cute, but don't tell anyone about it. And the company entered into decades of agonizing decline and able to perceive and respond to the advancing digital revolution. And in 2012, Kodak filed for bankruptcy. You'll drive through Rochester, New York, and you'll see empty buildings. It used to be Kodak buildings. So why did it happen? The author says this. First of all, they misunderstood their mission. They misunderstood the basic things that they were supposed to do. What are ours? Evangelism, edification, encouragement. And also, they had a failure to read the Times. Because times do change. And while the foundation of our truth never changes, the way that we communicate must. The way that we do church can change and vary. And the way that we share the gospel can and will change, but the gospel never changes. Because just as Jesus Christ is the same today and yesterday forever, he's commanded us as his followers to be the church. And it's my prayer, That as Old North continues to grow and continues not to be a statistic in the middle of decline, but continues to trust God for what comes next, that you'll be encouraged by the truth of God's word, but you'll continue to share your faith with others, be built up in that faith, and see many, many, I pray thousands of more people come to Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And as we do that, Father, I am just grateful for the truth of your word and how it speaks to us. I'm grateful that today as we sit here and as we look at what Titus's job was so many years ago and Paul's commitment was to build the foundation of your church that we can build on that same foundation, but with some incredibly new ways and incredibly cool people that you will bring our way in the future. I'm so thankful, Father, that today the good news of Jesus has never changed, that he died for our sins, that he gives eternal life as a free gift. And I would pray, Lord, if if people are processing that in their minds and don't know for sure they have a relationship with him, that right now in the quietness of their hearts and minds they might just think about that and they might tell you in whatever words they choose that they know they're not perfect, they know they've sinned, they know that they are not holy, they are not like you. But they ask you, because of the sacrifice of Christ and the cross, to forgive the sinfulness of their lives. And perhaps even today, make a commitment of faith in him. Father, I thank you that that's the foundation that we stand on today of Christ and the apostles and the prophets. I thank you that, that we continue to learn and grow because of that. And I thank you that as we sit here today, followers of Jesus, that you have a purpose and you have a plan and you give us the adventure of that journey every day to be able to understand and more fully follow Jesus. I pray that you will bless every person that's heard the word taught today. I pray that you will bless the leadership of Old North. I pray that you will continue to guide and use these, your people, in incredible ways to introduce thousands more to Jesus. For it's in his name we pray, and all in agreement said, amen.